Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Mrs. Doctor as she travels the vortex and arrived at episode 461. I love a good plume. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Very good. Do you like my plume? <laughs> I was so happy to see the Doctor's love of funny hats come back. <laughs> Do you guys have a good week? Do anything fun? I, I went I and saw Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh How yeah, it? how was it? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I feel like I have to preface that with, I, I didn't play Sonic, so I don't really know much. So I'm probably really easy to please <laughs> <laughs> because I can't nitpick. Um, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I will go so far as to say that it it may be one of the best video game adaptations that we've had as a movie. Um, it's fairly standard you know there's, there's nothing super outstanding in it but i think by nature of the fact that it's a video game movie that didn't suck <laughs> that may have helped elevate it up yeah. To it. Yeah, yeah that was really enjoyable you know it's like Kate, mortal Kombat. caitlin went and saw it saturday with her friends and said she really enjoyed it so and she played sonic so oh well that's good yeah. it did really well at the box office so you can expect a sequel yeah it opened better than uh, detective pikachu which is saying something. That's kind of what it reminded me of, actually. That same level of, oh, that was all right, you know. I think Mason and I are going to go tomorrow night. <clears throat> it's not one I really plan on seeing. Maybe if I see it at the library, I'll grab it. Well, that's part of my thing, is Mason really wants to see it, but I don't know if I wanted to play full price, but if it's at the B&B, uh, I yeah. can pay $5 and go yeah. see it. <laughs> so... It's definitely worth $5. I didn't watch Sonic, but I watched Video Game the Movie, which is a documentary about um, (laughs) video games, the history of video games, uh, narrated by Sean Astin. It was pretty interesting. A lot of it I knew, but it it was really well put together. I was impressed. I think that's it. That's all I watched. I started the third season of The Toys That Made Us, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. It's enjoyable. I finished uh, Queen Shadow. I think I did that this week. Did yeah. it redeem itself in the end? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a. It's not. I mean, it's it's a fine book, and if you are if the politics of Star Wars universe intrigue you, by all means, that's <laughs> your Star book. Star Wars prequel universe. <laughs> oh, sweet! <Yeah. laughs> but, I'm so excited. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I love the politics stuff. But uh, other than that, it just it. I don't. I think it's sort of. It explores the character of Padme in such a way that it really I don't like Padme that much anymore. Uh, oh, yeah, that's not a good. And thing. and I think she it, she learns from. It's the story is more about her and the 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 handmaidens than anything, and it worked for the the handmaidens being kind of you know all of them are trained to be decoys, and all of the it's almost like her rule was by committee instead of her being, I mean, they, they weren't really decision makers, but they were, they, she, she valued their input and they had, you know, a lot of say, but that, that, that isn't even so much 
that much of the book, she decides to, to carry the handmaiden idea over into her Senate uh, life. And she sort of figures out that it doesn't quite work. She can't use it quite the same way, but it just, it, you know, it was just really, and mm-hmm. it and it tries to be as much uh, Sabe's story as it does Padme's, but then they don't go far enough with Sabe's story in order to make it interesting enough. There's this, uh, there's this late blooming romance thing that happens in the middle of it that doesn't really go anywhere and with, with Sabe, because you can't really do much with Padme as far as romance, because we well, know where that's going eventually. Yeah. It's it's no it's Long I just not dead. and I had a lot of hope for it because it's the same gal that wrote Ahsoka yeah and Ahsoka is really and good. you said that Ahsoka was good so I don't know I'll uh, I'll have to give Ahsoka a shot but maybe Ahsoka is just a stronger character. I, the, the problem with it is there's not there's not a lot of action for me and I really like I mean if I'm reading a Star Wars novel I want a lot of you know action <laughs> I want a lot of Star Wars scenes and there's not a lot in this. If they'd have done more with there's a, there's an assassination attempt because obviously you know Newt Gunray's still gunning for her. she got a price on her head because he's in his third trial by the end of the book you know with the one that they allude to that he's finally not you know not found guilty so I it just but but if they had been doing this thing where she was just continually the subject of assassination attempts and she kept escaping these assassination attempts. There at least would have been something, but it just it, the the most exciting is a, a a scene where there's pirates that they're running a, a, a republic ship with in order to help get supplies to a certain planet, and that's that's like the big moment as far as action goes, and it's only like a dozen page, not even a dozen pages. So mm. I don't just it's 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 really boring. I'm I was glad that I read it, but. I would never go back and read that one again. And I, that makes me not want to read Queen's Peril, which Queen's Peril will be set during her reign on Naboo, which right. I think is interesting that they did them out of order. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure Catalyst will be quite up your alley either because there's a lot of times in that where it cuts away from the action and then you find out like the next chapter what happened. Oh. But I finished Catalyst, and it was pretty good. It, it's a lot more of... Uh, Exploring the relationship between Krennic and Urso, and you know how he was kind of manipulating Urso the whole time into thinking he was working on something else instead of um, the super weapon, and you know kind of tying together the prequels and the and Rogue One all to kind of make it even more connected, the uh, branching the prequels in the original trilogy, and then there's a little bit. I'm not bit... sure I buy that. What? Real genius notwithstanding, I can't really believe that somebody's working on a super powerful planet-sized super laser and well, doesn't when... begin to question what they're going to use it for. Well, see, the th- they don't start out planet-sized. He's he's exploring... Ener- his, his scientific history is studying crystals and... You mean moon-sized, right? Because it wasn't really planet-sized. That's no moon. Depends on the planet. <laughs> it's this, it, he's it's studying energy no. crystals and how Although to... Pluto's not a planet either. ...create a new energy source out of crystals. And so they're taking it and twisting it. And he thought he was testing, you know, a new way to power everything. Instead, they were taking it and channeling it 
but hadn't developed it big enough to be in the Death Star. So all of it leads up to them going off to the planet to hide. And so then it's set, like, however many years before the prologue of Rogue One, where I thought the book was going to be more taking place between the prologue and the rest of the movie. Right, right. It's all set before. Mm. So it's, it's a little easier when it's smaller scale to trick someone into thinking they're working on something else when it's not. And there's a lot of interesting imperial politics. <laughs> um, well, see, a- along with some... I liked the... Some competition between Tarkin and Krennic. See, and, nice. and, and the book Tarkin had a lot of that imperial, you know... And, and, and it's the same author. And see, I really enjoyed Tarkin. So I didn't, it probably, didn't bother yeah. me, the whole mechanisms of... Tarkin positioning himself, and, and that yeah. was all great. So it was more of the senatorial stuff and the pre-stuff. that. And there are a couple of action tried. pieces in this, so it's not like it's without action. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I would have been like kind of like to see that, but they, it was a side character that you don't actually need to worry about. You know, this person comes out ahead, that's all you really need to know. See, I think I would have liked the whole book just on Krennic. Well, a lot, most of it is. It's about 50 with 50. Well, it's split heavily Krennic uh, or so, and then a little bit Tarkin and a little bit another character that's being manipulated by Krennic also. So it's... it's it, Krennic is enough of a character that it c- helps carry you through it, him and Urso, for everything else. Hmm. hmm. I did not read a Star Wars book this week. <laughs> <laughs> that, and I finished Dooku Jedi Lost. It, that's probably the weakest one I've done so far. I just wasn't as impressed by it. It kind of didn't really build to much. and it, it builds to his departure from the Jedi, but it's still... It spent far too much time with his adolescence than it should have. Uh. And I, I saw what they were doing, but... What how they had him depart seems like because there's such a chasm between because it's all about his family and so there's time he spent communicating with them as a youngster before he even becomes a Padawan and then a little bit as a Padawan and then he loo- cuts contact with them for like 40 years and then all of a sudden he's back when you know he decides to leave the Jedi Order for his family and it's it's a little hard to swallow. It should have been a little bit more spread out through his timeline. But the guy who does a Liam, the Liam Neeson impersonation in the audiobook, really good job. Oh, really? The best best voice in the whole thing, because Dooku did not sound like Dooku at all. <laughs> Maybe that was part of it, was I was listening to it and not reading it, so I could hear. That well, it's just an like audiobook, Dooku. isn't it? They, I think there's a script. Is there one? Yeah, oh. there is a physical book copy. I'm not sure if it's a novelization or a script. Mm. How long is it? Six hours. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah. <clears throat> Once I kind of knuckled down and listened to it and stopped getting distracted by podcasts, I got through it pretty quickly. Cool. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, let's move on to news. Well, Gallifrey One convention was this past weekend, and one of the guests, producer Tracy Simpson revealed that pre-production for Series 13 is going to begin in June and filming will start in September. 
So that seems to indicate, according to most people, that we probably won't see a new series until fall 2021. Now, of course, there was a special that was talked about having filmed that will probably air between this series and next. When does the shooting start? September. Of this year? Yes. Why are they extrapolating that it's... Because the last two seasons took about nine to ten months to complete. Uh, I guess they're really... I think it'd be more summer they're than... They're very special fall. effects heavy now, so... Yeah. And longer episodes, so, you know. Oh, they're doing longer episodes well, next season? This Compared to, you know, before Chibnall took over. They're longer episodes. They're supposed to be a little longer. Oh, thanks. I mean, we're just talking mere minutes, though. So. Yeah. Well, a, a depends 50, on the episode. A 50-minute episode. As opposed to a 45-minute episode. Yeah. I mean, that's not that's not a bunch, so. Or a 55-minute episode. We haven't had very many of those. Spyfall, I think both of those were in the 50s, but everything since then has been about 45 to 49. Huh. That seems like a long time though still if there's yeah assuming that it's going to be the fall of the fall you, you would if this filming takes nine to ten months to complete who knows how long post-production would take yeah i mean you, it could easily still be not summer. as long as we had between season 11 and 12 yeah chibnall taking the sherlock approach to Making a TV show. <laughs> You'll get it when we're done. Well, that's how he did Broadchurch. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, because it was at least a year or two in between each that's, of those seasons. Yeah, you know, but that's typical of of the UK yeah. broadcast or uh, scheduling is that they 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 take their time and they don't necessarily do them on such a stringent schedule as we do in the US. So, well, good on them. <laughs> Yeah, that's why Jody Jody had to say a couple of weeks ago that she's sticking around for three because <laughs> it was going to come out that they were already going to shoot start shooting three soon. Yeah. And our other bit of news: Big Finish has announced the next box set line for the Eighth Doctor called Stranded, and it's going to feature a familiar old face as. The curator. Yay! Yay! That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to see how they're going to handle it. So the synopsis it reads, The TARDIS is gone, stranded in one time and place. The Doctor, Liv, and Helen seek refuge in Baker Street. But the house has changed. They now have neighbors, not all of them welcoming. And someone has a dire warning for the future. <laughs> So there's going to be four box sets of this, according to Big Finish. Wow. So the Eighth Doctor is going to be stranded for a, quite a while. For a while. <laughs> Meanwhile, like... this is what happened while he was on Orbis. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like uh, P.I. Andy is going to make hey, an appearance, all too. Right. <laughs> nice I like Torchwood her. connection. I like him. Yeah, me too. And the fact that they're setting it in 2020 London, so it makes me wonder how, huh. if they're going to try to tie it into the new series at all in any way. That'll be interesting. We got a lot of Eighth Doctor to get through first, so don't get too excited. That's all right. I did a little bit, <laughs> did a little bit of head start on that. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, 
Cool. Anything else in the news? That's it so far. Let's check in on feedback. Feedback this week comes from Holly. (laughs) He says it with a question mark. (laughs) Holly? Holly writes. What order we're going to do this? We did not. Holly writes, hey guys, man, what an episode. And a different take on Shelley's Frankenstein. The whole thing with the Cybermen and the Siberium. Cyberanium. What was the name of it? Cyberanium. Siberium. Siberium. The actor who played Byron did an awesome job. Wasn't sure about who was the monster in the beginning. I first thought it was the guy who hadn't slept in days. All in all, a great spooky episode. I'll wrap it up here. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Holly. And next up in feedback is Jamie. Jamie writes, The Lone Cyberman Arrives. Hello, Vortexers. This feels like Utopia to Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords. The first half is your general haunting story, then Percy Shelley's disappearance is brought up, the specter on the lake appears, and the architecture goes wonky. Then we get the lone Cyberman and things get really interesting. An enjoyable episode that started average and then improved as it went on. I'm really looking forward to the finale. Does this clash with the big finish Mary Shelley stuff? Probably. Is it possible to integrate things? Maybe. Still very enjoyable story that I found to be one of the best. Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. And then he sent in another bit of continued feedback about this one. Uh, Hello, Vortexers. Episode 8 continued. Thinking more about this episode and find it feels a bit like someone combined Mary's story and the Silver Turk. 13 even feels like 8 here with a zest for life, love of expiration, name dropping, but with a dark side. And speaking of eight, everyone describes him as Byron-esque. But here, I thought Percy Shelley looked a lot more like eight than Byron did. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. I thought that myself watching yeah. this. Uh, uh, Byron, uh, I also thought the male guest stars in the episode were very well done. Byron especially was very memorable. Meanwhile, the female guests were difficult to tell apart. I honestly couldn't tell Mary and Claire apart. And when you have a story about Mary Shelley, she ought to be standing out and memorable. Finally, this is an excellent excuse to put the big finish Mary Shelley Skelly's on the st- stories. Yeah, the big finish Mary Shelley stories on the schedule. Jamie, thank you, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. They are on the horizon. Again, we still have a lot of doc- uh, a doctor <laughs> to get through first. Very true. Well, uh, yeah, I, the Mary Shelley it, stuff I think can be done anytime. It's not. I, in fact, I think the Mary Shelley stuff, I think, is particularly earlier than he, from the impression I get from some of the research I did this weekend, is earlier than even what we're doing now. So, yeah, yeah it, I think in in the timeline, I think. Um, it's be- technically before Charlie, isn't it? No, it's after Charlie. Okay. Well, so it's between Charlie and Lucy. I was of the impression. It's before it Lucy before for sure. Charlie. It's. I don't believe it's before Charlie. Uh, but I can't say that without having heard the Silver Turkin on because I'm just going based on a company of friends. So, <laughs> and I can't say much about it because a company of friends has a really cool um, before and after kind of thing going on with it. So, <laughs> so, so yes, uh, the com- company of friends story is both maybe before Charlie and after Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out. We'll get there. We'll get there. If I don't jump ahead, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to go ahead and 
since I I did listen to uh, the uh, company of friends uh, Mary's story uh, just because I got it piqued my interest after after watching this I wanted to see and I also I, I had the reason I had done it is because it, by the way we'll just jump into our review here uh, <laughs> since we're taking off that way right we're done with feedback yes we're okay. done with feedback uh, you want my synopsis real quick though there is a uh, Radio Times article out there that I think you should read if you haven't read it yet called How Doctor Who, The Haunting of Villa uh, Diodati Contradicts Canon but Also Doesn't. And I'll explain a little bit why the article goes into saying that it doesn't. But go ahead with the uh, summary. Nobody mentioned Frankenstein. Nobody interfere. Nobody snog Byron. Should be easy, right? The Doctor and gang arrive at the... I'm not going to try to pronounce that. On the night that inspired Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The plan is to spend the evening soaking up the atmosphere in the presence of some literary greats. But the ghosts are all too real, and the doctor is forced into a decision of earth-shattering proportions. Did you skip over Vila Diodati? Is that what you're yes. skipping over? Oh, yeah. I think that's a relatively easy word. Diodati? I think it's Diodati. Diodati? Yeah. Or maybe it's Diodati. No, it's Dio. Diodati? You know, like the band. <laughs> Dio. Dio. Uh, I, I, Don, 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 I enjoyed this one. Don, Don, I yeah, really liked this. It was a good one. It was a good story. I liked all the characters. I thought they were very appropriately portrayed for the time period, um, from what I understand, or at least what you come to expect from historical television of the time period. <laughs> <laughs> Um, good addendum. <laughs> and then, of course, the giant reveal of who the ghost really is. Right. I thought was fantastically done and so well realized. And the design of the lone Cyberman was absolutely fantastic. I thought he looked so good, so creepy, and a little bit bored, but that's okay. <laughs> a little bit bored. <laughs> Borg. Oh, Borg. oh, Borg. I thought you said Borg. Borg. Yeah, you said Borg, too. <laughs> Well, maybe. No, he was full of emotions. He he was more emotional than David Banks. I mean, come on. Uh, Chibnall said in an interview uh, this week that uh, Maxine Alderton that wrote this knew is she actually knows a lot about the uh, uh, situation that took place there. She'd studied this. She oh, studied really? Percy and, and Shelley and all this, and and uh, that she stayed very true to the true to the real story and from from what i know of that particular uh three days in, in 1812 i think it was uh yeah it, they it, it was pretty true to the i mean obviously <laughs> the doctor didn't really show up in real life and, uh, you can't prove that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know a lot of the a lot of the uh history in there is 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 very somewhat you know accurate which i thought was interesting it felt like it was 1816, not 1812. Relatively authentic. Yeah. Um. It just I it just <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's it's it it was fun. It was it was interesting. It was thrilling. It was scary. It was you know it it, it all the all the great elements of a Doctor Who story. Um. 
I, you know, you say that. I think he did look very bored. <laughs> I didn't think about it until <laughs> he you looked did. like you. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. I, I didn't think I'm about it. I'm trying to figure you, out who the actor was. Until you said that, but uh, of course, it could just be coming off the heels of watching Picard too. So yeah, maybe. Um, no, it was just it was it was a really good story. It was it was intriguing. I liked the, uh, I liked the idea of this happening and, and the doctor deciding she's going to bring the companions to. <laughs> This place to you know this this it her it's her doing her thing you know showing sightseeing and then ended up being somewhere where you know something goes awry. Um, I think she'd learned by now. The uh, <laughs> uh, do, you th- do you think the doctor stands at the console and has a nifty idea for a journey and plugs in the coordinates and the TARDIS says something anything and she says to herself what could possibly go wrong. Come on. Do you think that's a common? Every single time. Every time, yeah. What could possibly? And at what point is there not somebody standing there going, really? You can't say that because then something will go wrong. It really builds on the mystery. I, I was curious as to why, you know, Percy Shelley wasn't there. And it was interesting that, you know, the, the history says that, you know, he was there for those, you know, three or four days that they were stuck in the villa and so him not being there was kind of weird and she and i liked that the doctor was surprised you know why is you know where's where is he at and he's not there um there's some there's some scholars that that have alluded to the fact that percy was a bit manic and a bit mad and i liked how this kind of gives an explanation mm-hmm. for why he was. Um, they, you know, history dictates that it was drugs. He was. <laughs> he was always <laughs> he taking was opium or, or laudium uh, back then, and, and had poor side effects. And, and he was also a uh, devout atheist, and was also often called out for blasphemy. But um, I like how this puts a face on on maybe the reason behind mm-hmm. why he was the way he was. I like the fact that the um, Cybermen is potentially the uh, uh, inspiration for the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, I really liked how they handled all that. I like that she's she's looking into his, you know, the, the, the morality of his soul, and, and she brings up the fact that, you know, she he spared her son. So that, you know, that's why she knows there's, you know, some conflict in there. Well, he kind of turns that on its head uh, <laughs> as well, but... Um, but I like that. I like that she calls him a a, a, a modern Prometheus. I thought that was yeah. good because it's the subtitle of the book. So Frankenstein. Um, a lot of great little elements. I like. I like Byron. I think was a, a little bit even more of a womanizer than history portrays him as. But I like the character. I thought it was well done. Uh, Claire Claremont was was you know just kind of there but i think she was just kind of there in history too <laughs> she she's in in history she's the one that, that convinced the shelleys to go to the house and the reason being is because she was having an affair with byron in london prior to that and she wanted to continue to pursue her relationship with byron and so she convinced the shelleys to rent a uh, house near the villa that's why they all ended up there that weekend uh, I liked the uh, uh, Polidori 
Dr. Polidori uh, characterization. I like the fact that the guy that is known for writing the horror story, The Vampire, is a guy that can't sleep. <laughs> I, I thought it was a, it's got an insomniac. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, what you guys jump in here? I'm just I'm kind of rambling because there was just a lot of great things about it that I really super enjoyed. You haven't talked much, Sean. There were a lot of great things. Um, everything that you mentioned, obviously, um, is high on the list, and it's the type of episode that. I, I it, this is kind of goes back to the way back when when we had the discussion about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter <laughs> that I love these kinds of alternate histories where we we play mostly by the rules and mostly by the facts of the established uh, you know history but we're going to postulate a couple of things and throw it out there as like well you can't prove that it didn't happen this way I love that kind of stuff so everything that that came up with Here's a little piece of the Frankenstein story. Here's a little piece of this. Here's a play. It just, yes, all of that was fantastic. Um, it's almost to the point where there may have been too much because we, we, we get a haunted house and initially it's very, I think, effectively creepy, some of the, the haunting stuff that's going on. And then we get the Adams family's thing running around and it's almost now the, you know on, on a dime flips over to being played more for comedic effect all of the spookiness because we're setting up this larger mystery of what's going on and then that seems to take a back seat once the Cyberman shows up which I mean these are all related and interconnected I'm not right, nitpicking right. Uh, you know uh, except for the girl in the mall or the lady yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was interesting, and the fact that they there. addressed it at the end, too, yeah, they didn't leave it as a pothole, right? Which makes me well, wonder. they didn't address it though. I mean, they didn't explain it. No, I guess they but, addressed it. They but, just yeah, didn't, they didn't give yeah. us an explanation. They acknowledged it. Yeah, you know, which makes me wonder. We, we've always kind of complained a little bit when we get a supernatural episode of Doctor Who because, well, it's not ghosts. It's got to be an alien or this or that or the other. And so when they set this one up and then immediately jumped into the Cybermen and okay, well that's that's what's causing this stuff. And brilliantly with the 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 backflash of Percy and what had happened to him to cause okay, yeah, totally in for this. But then we have this dangling bit with the, the real ghosts as it were. And I can't help but wonder, was that left in there on purpose just so that we are kind of sort of still leaving the door open for <laughs> ghost stories in the future? That we didn't want to you know, because I, I think I don't think any of us would have been not okay with that. Uh, you know, if the, if if those characters had not been there and Graham hadn't had that experience, I don't think it would have detracted any from the story. This would have been just yet another example of a supernatural event that turned out not to be supernatural. Right. And the next time the doctor stumbled into one, I'd still be in the same mindset that well, it's probably aliens. <laughs> so I don't know that I necessarily needed real ghosts, but it gave Graham something to do. And, and that was one of the things that I liked about this, is that all the companions really had something to do. Um, and surprisingly, the majority of the the party guests mm -hmm. all kind of had things going on. There may have been a few too many running into the same room scenes, 
at first it was super effective. And then it goes a bit Scooby-Doo. And then it goes a bit, sco- <laughs> well, and, th- and then it becomes repetitive because it's, okay, we're on the stairs again. And they're acting shocked. It's like, how many times is this? Seven. Yeah, it feels like it. <laughs> and we've only seen it twice. We, we, we've seen this before. And then it becomes Scooby-Doo with with Jodie Whittaker kind of running out of the room and turning around and running back into the room and acting surprised. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> We're not even going to change the camera angle or anything. You're just going to have her disappear behind a wall. And I'm supposed to believe this? All right. I'll... <laughs> you spent your money on other things. I see it coming. Well, I think it was also an attempt to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I think as, so, too. As was all of, a lot of Graham's stuff was played for humor. This constant jumping and looking for the loo and <laughs> I have to wonder if the 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 woman and the child ghost that, that Grant saw had because this gal was so familiar with Byron and these characters, I wonder if it it's an an, an allusion to he wrote he wrote later in life, and I'd say a few years after this, a story about uh I think it was called it's called Manfred. It's about a guy who summons ghosts in order to help him forget about something he's regretful in his past, and so it's oh, got a lot. Of, it's got, yeah, it's got, <laughs> but it's got a lot of supernatural elements. And I wonder if maybe she was looking for because this particular, you know, a, a Cyberman showing up really has some merit for why somebody would write Frankenstein, and maybe even some element of why. Uh, uh, the doctor, the the yeah, the physician guy would would write, you know, vampire. But ghost stories really didn't have an explanation for it, even though they're they're reading from Fan, Phantasmagoria, which is a collection of German ghost stories, I believe, and that's what sparked the idea for them to go write their own ghost stories. And so I wondered if maybe that was sprinkled in there to give some reason for why he wrote something that was certainly a little different than what they had experienced that night. Maybe that that he's experienced other hauntings in the house as well. And there is a supernatural element to it. So I don't know. I'd buy that. Yeah, why not? Um, I was impressed that the um, Siberium, anybody notice it looked like the opening credits? Yeah, it did a little bit. bit. Yeah. Just the, the fluidity and the movement of it. Um, I think this writer for being this is her first um this is her first who story. Yes. But man, I feel like she has nailed the voice of the 13th Doctor better than probably anybody has at this point. <laughs> um just, Well, it's what's what's also great about how she portrays it is she pulls in I don't know if how much of it was written and how much of it was pulled from Jody's performance, but the way she reacts to the Cybermen of not wanting to lose anybody else to it, you immediately think of Bill. Yeah. Which is a great recent history thing to, you know, draw on for emotions, and that was such a powerful scene for her. It was so well done. Yeah, I just I, I, I'm I'm really fearful of where we're going with this story though because she's continuing to push people away she's you know she's she's again isolating herself from these people so that she doesn't put them in danger and but i think she doesn't realize that she's inadvertently pushing them away which we've we've seen shades of that throughout the season um i also felt like when they have the conversation about 
what to do with Percy. Do you kill him now or allow him to die now in order to save hundreds of thousands of people in the future? Or do you save him now knowing that there are hundreds of... And the doctor has that, you know, impassioned... In fact, she, she, she berates Ryan for having his opinion. And I almost felt like he didn't deserve that speech from her that or or at least the, the way she delivered it she he didn't deserve the way he she delivered it on him because he has a he has a point and it's a very impassioned and and maybe less informed position on it and she does give it more of a a a nuanced reason for why it, you know it's important for him not to die but she, he did. She he didn't deserve the way she delivered that on him, and I kind of felt very uncomfortable all that. Now, I'm not. I don't think. I, it's not that I didn't like that that happened because I think that was a character moment for the doctor, and I think it was a character moment for Ryan. But I really don't feel like he deserved the brunt of that uh, berating that he got for giving his opinion on the on the matter. I agree, and uh, I was also mildly uncomfortable with it. And when it started, it was, oh, this is our speech moment. Because every episode this season has had a speech. But then it kind of went into the, oh, you're, you know, and, and tangenting off into the, you know, th- this relationship is, is a mountain and I'm at the peak. And the, yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I, I get it, but kind of harsh. Yeah. But I think that. I don't know. I, I, there's a couple different ways that I can try and rectify it. And, and you, so often as time travel fans, we get into this scenario. We get into this argument of, well, what if we just killed Hitler when he was a baby? Or what if we did this? Or what if we did this? And obviously Doctor Who has had that moment several times now, most notably with Davros. <laughs> so what if you just let him go? And I think it's in our nature as humans to kind of postulate that. And the doctor being the doctor, and especially being post on the other side of Davros, I don't think that's uh, something that they can really entertain, uh, ever. And so I don't know if her reaction to Ryan was so much at the at the question being raised yet again, or if it was at humanity in general, and he just kind of happened to be standing in front of her. <laughs> um, well, and this seems to also be a doctor that isn't willing to to let someone be sacrificed for something else like the third, the 12th doctor would, right. You know, she wouldn't have let the Dalek antibody kill the one guy or would have done the very best to try to stop it as opposed to let him die because he was going to die anyways and learn something from it. Right. It's such a different characterization for her that it's, that's kind of how I also took it was it's not just the future impact of this important person, but it's one person's life. We, it's worth saving also. Right. And, and she's not wrong from the standpoint that this particular moment in time is... I, I, I don't know if the... I don't know if the... Uh, the ramifications necessarily of this have really hit yet from a an outside universe standpoint. Looking at the show, 
for Doctor Who to do this episode, to be present at this moment in time, this is the equivalent of, you know, Star Trek being at Roswell. That kind of momentous... Because, I mean, this, this is the night science fiction was born, for all intents and sure, purposes. Sure. Yeah. Even though, you know... A, 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 the vampire stuff is, you know, a little more horror, and Frankenstein certainly has elements of horror to it. So, I mean, you can technically say, okay, both genres kind of were really the modern era. Of well, I would say science fiction fantasy. That's, okay, there you uh, go. That, that, yeah, that's and that's Doctor the right Who idea. is certainly in that in that camp um, with its elements of horror and its science fiction and its fantasy. So, the show itself owes its existence to this night, which is very meta, but. I just think that's really cool that that they were able to bring this together and do it in such a way that this is this is how it's presented. So there's that element to it on top of everything else. But one of the things that bothered me is we we, we get the last Cyberman and he shows up and does his bit and it kind of becomes a, I don't want to say standard, but it's a, okay, this is the problem now. We've got to solve this problem. And, well, you know, we, we've got Percy. What if we kill him? But well, we can't do that. And then ultimately the doctor's decision is just kind of like, okay, here, you can have it. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to save him and, and, and free that up. And then we'll deal with it later. Now, the show has done that, obviously, a lot. Yeah. Impossible astronaut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't worry about that today. I'll put that off until tomorrow at Terra. But I don't know. I just, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that the preview for next time. <laughs> I don't think we're putting it seems off. Seems to we're, pick we're, it we're not right putting back it up. off. Yeah, we went yeah. and go took care of it. Right. So maybe, I don't know. It just, it, it felt like. I don't like think a, it'll be guilty of doing what they did in yeah. that series. That, no, no. I just, it, I kind of felt like it was a weird. I don't know. Like I don't want to say left turn, but it just like it, it felt like the doctor was proceeding in one direction, and then stopped and changed it up and decided, no, we're not going to do that. But if you look at it in the context of the meta, the show owes its existence to this moment. There's so much of the future that science fiction inspires that maybe the doctor knows that humanity won't get there if we don't have this moment. Hey, there's so many possibilities of, 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 it, of it not turning out that way. Yeah. I also thought it was kind of interesting that she touched on the, you know, the kind of the back to the futuring that, you know, Orion, it's not just their existence, it's yours. You know, the universe that you come from won't exist anymore. All right, now are you speaking kind of sort of metaphorically or are you, <laughs> are you saying that he's going to start to vanish if this happens? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it just it raised some really big questions. Yet again, it was another one of those episodes that I almost wish had been longer. Not necessarily needing a second part, but just we, we I felt like we could have done some more fleshing out of some of these people and 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 given them a little more oomph. Like um, who, who's the one that we didn't remember that Jamie was? I couldn't. Uh, and you said well it's because she wasn't really there anyway. I want to have an affair with Byron. What's her name? Oh, Claire Claremont. Claire. Of of these people, if you were to say Lord Byron, I, I've heard of Lord Byron. If you were to say yeah. Mary Shelley, I've heard of Mary Shelley. If you were to say Percy Shelley, I've heard of Percy. 
I don't know <laughs> Claremont. Well, Claire, she was she was a stepsister of uh, Mary. She was Mary's stepsister. Yeah, that's, that's all simply she was. all she was. That's all yeah. she was. So. And she had an affair with Byron, Lord Byron. You know, in that, fact, she was carrying her baby, his baby, at that time, at this time as well. Your, your, your claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there wasn't any fleshing out needed. I don't. I don't target. think there was. I. Th- I think but, what I no, think well, if, if they had her, ex- her her purpose was to show how much of a womanizer and how unimportant he felt she was or 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 women were how he was you know i mean because he was coming on to the doctor even at at moments in this and i think that was that was really she sort of served that purpose of 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 the characterization of byron yeah and if they were going to extend it and explore more they could have explored you know with the doctor and the siberiad of why she decided to give it over to him as quickly as she did once she had it in her possession out of Percy Shelley. Because that's the point where I felt like she kind of flipped and was like, oh, well, I have it now, and now you're not going to take it. Oh, well, here you go. It felt like it could have been drawn out and explored a little bit more there more than anything else. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Well, and it would have been cool, too, to have some um, maybe uh, Nightmare and Silver flashbacks. Yeah. You know, this isn't the first time I've had the Cybermen in my head. Or you know, did she? Did she make a backup copy <laughs> in her head while she had it? I mean, who knows what the, what the you know? Yeah, yeah. What what she bit has of two brains apparently. Yeah. <laughs> who knows what bit of cleverness the doctor is going to come up with? But I also thought it was really interesting that once again we got a line that seemed to indicate that things were amiss. The last Cyberman says uh, something to the effect of I will burn your existence or this reality. Or there, there, were, there was another one of those aha moments that I really feel like they're breadcrumbing us to this inevitable conclusion that, no, this isn't what you think it is. Maybe. Because I do remember that line. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I do remember him saying something something along, along that lines. I don't remember that line. So does it does it set up a problem with <laughs> continuity? Well, that's a question for you. <laughs> uh, being the You're only the one who listens. Group well, I listened. To, I listened to Mary's story. I actually listened to all of the stories on this. I, I got that much ahead of, but uh, those were other three were. So I guess a brief setup for those that don't know is that there are a series of big finish stories where the Eighth Doctor meets and travels with Mary Shelley. Correct. Including one called the Silver Turk, which is a Cyberman story. Right. And and so the the Mary's story, which I did listen to, is the encounter. It's the same night. It's the haunting of, of Villa Diano or it's it's the incident. It's the night that they get together to write the stories on uh at the villa and uh the doctor shows up, eighth doctor shows up and he's a bit out of sorts and he's babbling and he's he, he calls himself dr frankenstein <laughs> and so that's where it gives mary the the uh impression things obviously take a little different turn he he seems to die in in this story and so <laughs> percy decides to go all frankenstein on him and do the uh the uh experiment with the lightning and you know if it i can't remember who the famous scientist was that had already experimented on the frog legs 
in animating the legs and making them twitch with um, the electrical currents. Yeah. I... They decide that they're going to do this with the doctor <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hook him up to, you know, some electrodes and then the lightning strikes and he yeah, comes, comes back to life essentially. Uh, I can't go too much more into it without giving too much away. So, but Obviously, the events are very, very much different uh, in this situation and, and how he encountered her. And I, I didn't get, I didn't move on and, and listen to Silver Turk, Silver Turk, which is the next story. Um, but it does at least give the impression from what I read that 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 her uh, Mary encountering the Cybermen in that story also might lend to the fact of of why she, uh, you know, the the wrote Frankenstein, or at least was an influence on the on the Frankenstein monster. Um, but there's a really interesting article, and I'll put a link in the show notes uh, from Radio Times by Morgan Jeffrey that pointed to the fact that these two stories both exist in the continuity, at least, if not canon of Doctor Who, and they don't necessarily have to not contradict each other. And he pointed to the fact that with the Siberium coming back through time and ending up at this location, that perhaps it changed events so that the uh the people at the manor or the, the 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 villa experienced a different timeline or it changed the events so that from the doctor's perspective she had been there as the 8th doctor and she's been here now as the 13th doctor and those events from her perspective still happened both ways but from our the characters in this story they ne- they didn't necessarily happen the same way because the siberian changed events in the timeline so that the, the things happened this way this time instead so i thought that was a pretty decent simple i mean it's it's, it's you know it's retconning to for the sake of <laughs> retconning but i thought it was a pretty good explanation it could also it doesn't go as far to explain why she doesn't mention why the doctor clearly would remember the events happening differently from the past but doesn't necessarily make reference to that so it doesn't fix that idea but unless there is some sort of ripple effect from the, the siberium's arrival mm-hmm. that changed it to the point where the doctor wasn't there yeah because if she was there the first time as the eighth doctor and then that change if she was there the first time and then just randomly decide hey we should go check out mary shelley that's a great night you'll love it at some point, she would have gone, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, I'm I might be there. 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 Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a dangerous, no, I can't cross my own time right, stream right. web of blah, blah, blah. But the fact that she doesn't say that, I think, kind of actually lends more credence to that theory that it just, yeah. The was, ripple changed everything. It, it, yeah. it went and obliterated that particular instance. Well, and if what your theory is holds true anyways... It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right. They, they could because both be true. it's all sort of a illusion anyway. <laughs> or a fabric of reality that doesn't necessarily exist in the way we think it does. That was the one thing I, I felt like maybe they'd missed a trick. When the Cyberman reached out the window and was struck by the bolt of lightning, I was like, oh, this is great. You're getting all the Frankenstein elements in there. And Mary wasn't there. <laughs> she didn't see that. Yeah, I was like, true. oh, It's a good story. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. This was one that Sarah hasn't been much on this season, but that she was that was one she was like, oh, that was pretty good. Caitlin's the same. She hasn't been much on this season, but she really liked it. 
Now, okay, now refresh me on the ladies. Did they like last season? Sarah was kind of male. Caitlin was a bit hit and miss. There were stories she really liked. She obviously liked Rosa. She liked um, uh, Punjab. <laughs> um, and I think there was one or two other stories in there. She, the, the witch finders. Just, I think she liked that as well. Okay, but so she kind of fell she in line liked with the historicals. That, she fell in line with us as far as yeah. That well, yeah. you guys. I think I was a little more forgiving on, on most of the season, but except for that stupid. <laughs> Scandinavian one. What was that called? It takes you away. Yeah. Not not, not Kerblam. Uh, yeah, I I think I was a little more forgiving of Kerblam than you were. Maybe not you. I think you were. Was, you were kind of you were medium yeah. middle of the road. Um. So yeah, no. So but Caitlin's a middle. She's been a little more lukewarm on it this year than season than she even was last year. But she did end up liking this one. So. I think this season's been a little darker than Sarah tends to like in general. So. Mm-hmm. Although I was surprised this was one that she did appreciate because it was really it was the dark. darkest of all of them, probably. <laughs> you know, it's. I don't know. I'm worried because I keep thinking, as you said, you know, the doctor's pushing people away, and yet they keep coming and flocking back, and they keep reinforcing the idea that where you go, we follow. And I'm beginning to think that's what's going to get them all killed. Well, I think that yeah. <laughs> I think what makes it worse is is the contrast of last season to this season. The fact that you know she's she's the one that kept saying to my fam, "This is my fam," and and she's the one that kept encouraging them to you know uh, be a part of these adventures. And she was very encouraging. And then in this season, when they all are finally very comfortable in doing so. Now she's turned around and pushing them away, yeah. and yeah. I think that that's that. That's, it's just it's certainly a stark contrast that's making for an interesting uh, dynamic this season. So, Sean, what we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up on the schedule. Naturally, I don't have that. The one. Ascension of the Cybermen. Thank you, Keith. Next week will be the Ascension of the Cybermen. the penultimate episode of this season. Yeah, I think I read somewhere we already have the title for the. Last story yes, of the season we two. We do. What yeah. is it? The timeless, or is it spoilerish? The timeless children. Plural. Yep. <gasps> I know what's going to happen. It's going to be a little blonde girl and a little black girl standing underneath a vortex on Gallifrey, because <laughs> <laughs> they're both both Ruth Doctor and the Doctor are the timeless children. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so uh, that, that's that's what you have to look forward to, and I'm very sad because there's only two more episodes, and then yeah. we have to go back to doing other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that other stuff is posted on the website. So if you are curious, go check it out. And while you're there, please uh, consider clicking on our patron link and consider supporting us. And for those of you that already support us, we thank you very much. And remember, you can send feedback and comments to feedback at travelingthevortex.com by clicking on the send feedback link on the website. Anything else before we close this one out, fellas? All right. Until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. I forgot what order I go in. Be seeing you. Probably Thanks for listening. Probably because I was looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I missed my visual cue. <laughs> Good night, everybody. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.